Welcome to Foresight Friday Roundup, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Friday, June 11th. On today's episode of the Roundup, we're going to talk about one of the biggest stories of the past week, and that's the FDA's approval of a new drug to treat Alzheimer's disease. The FDA is the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. The drug company is Biogen. The name of the drug is Aducanumab, and the brand name of the drug is Aduhelm. To avoid dozens of flubs, redos, and edits, we're just going to call it the drug for the rest of this podcast. To tell us why the FDA's approval of the drug is so controversial, and to offer some ideas on how to overcome those challenges, are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Murchison, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning, Dave? Well, you know, the Detroit Tigers have this outfielder named Akil Badu. So when it comes to pronouncing this drug, I'm going to call it Badu Helm and just take off the B. So I'll be okay there. But in terms of how I'm doing, I'm, I'm suffering whiplash from Monday's two big news stories, overjoyed by One Medical's announced acquisition of Iora and outraged by the FDA's approval of Biogen's crappy Alzheimer's drug. Let the outrage pour out so you feel better all the way around. All right, Julie, how are you doing this morning? Well, I'm experiencing a little personal case of Dave's distance there in the sense that uh, San Francisco and California are still wearing masks all over the place, but my gym is about to say no masks and start increasing capacity. So I'm, I'm going to wrap my head around that and go for it. Glad to change right around the corner. Thank you. Now, before we talk about the drugs problems and promises, I wanted to ask you both about your experiences with Alzheimer's disease. Dave, any family or friends diagnosed with Alzheimer's? Yeah, unfortunately, I know this disease all too well. My mother-in-law, Mary Brady, died of Alzheimer's in 2017 after a 12-year battle against the disease. My wife, Terry, and her mom had an unbreakable bond. Uh, Mary was matron of honor at our wedding. Terry was probably the best caregiver any parent could want. So we miss her a lot. Yeah, no, thanks, Dave. Julie, how about you? Any family or friends diagnosed with Alzheimer's? No family, thankfully. Um, very grateful for that thus far. Uh, but a very good friend from college's mother um, who had Alzheimer's, who happened to die of COVID in her memory center pretty early on. So tough times. Gosh, gosh. Thanks, Julie. So far, we've dodged Alzheimer's in my family and in my wife's family. No friends with it either. So we feel very fortunate at this point. Now let's talk about this new drug that treats a disease that afflicts more than a half million new people a year in the U.S. Dave, give us a brief description of how the drug works and then tell us why the drug is so controversial in terms of access, cost, and quality. Monday, June 7, 2021, a day which will live in infamy, the Food and Drug Administration approved a crappy, budget-busting Alzheimer's drug named Aduhelm with scant evidence of efficacy. If you can't tell, I'm channeling my inner FDR because it's time to declare war on the FDA's politicized process for accelerating approvals of high-cost drugs for hard-to-treat conditions without verifiable scientific evidence that the drugs actually work. Honestly, I've lived in fear of this type of drug approval for some time. This is a form of 
pharmacological doomsday scenario acting out. For at least the last decade, Big Pharma has focused on advancing treatments for rare, often genetic conditions for so-called orphan diseases for which there are no cures. And in essence, what's happened here with Biogen and its new Alzheimer's drug is that it is taking this playbook and applying it to a, a common disease. Alzheimer's affects over 5 million Americans, and that number is growing. So here's the playbook. You know, find and acquire drugs that address orphan diseases that will require lifelong administration. So not, not a vaccine. This is something you got to do all the time and pay for all the time. Conduct trials to develop at least some evidence of effectiveness. Amp up the patient advocacy groups to demand FDA approval for the drugs. After getting approval, slap a huge price tag on the drugs and work governmental and commercial payers to cover its cost. Smile all the way to the bank, even if the drugs don't work that well. The FDA has greased the skids for this process in recent years by granting breakthrough designations for serious or life-threatening diseases to accelerate development of therapeutic treatments, you know, i.e. drugs. Biogen, the developer of Autohelm, is no stranger to this process. They received fast-track designation, priority review, and orphan drug designation. How's that for a mouthful? From the FDA in 2016 for a drug called Spinraza, which treats a rare form of muscular dystrophy. Once approved, Biogen slapped an astronomical price tag of $125,000 per treatment on Spinraza, even though the drug doesn't cure the disease and isn't even that effective. And it requires six treatments a year for the first three years and three treatments a year thereafter. Harvard healthcare economist and great friend of mine, Amitabh Chandra, calls the therapies like Spinraza crappy drugs because of their high cost and questionable effectiveness. This pharmacological doomsday moment is now upon us as we have a drug for Alzheimer's, as I said, a condition that afflicts at least 5 million Americans and, and 30 million people worldwide at 56,000 in annual drug costs, plus tens of thousands more for diagnostic screenings. Helm alone could easily double Medicare's annual payments for drugs. And this is coming at a time when the Medicare trust fund is in danger of becoming insolvent as early as 2024. In terms of how the drug works, Autohelm relies on the amyloid hypothesis. You know, that sounds like an episode from the Big Bang Theory. The theory is that the drug attacks amyloid plaques that clog the brains of Alzheimer's patients. It's not at all clear that amyloid plaques cause Alzheimer's. In fact, there have been over 400 trials of Alzheimer's drugs in the last 12 years, and, and none have worked. So we probably need to look at the problem another way. That being the case, why in the world is the FDA breaking the Medicare bank for a drug that in all likelihood doesn't work? Scary stuff. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Julie, what's your reaction to the FDA's approval of the drug and what questions does it raise in your mind about the approval process and the drug's entry into the market? Well, I think the fact that three of the FDA's advisory committee, their scientific advisory committee, have quit since Monday. One calling it probably the worst drug approval decision in recent U.S. history, quote unquote, to me says it all. I mean, this advisory committee had 
concerns about the data. And even they're quoted to say that in the November 2020 advisory committee meeting, they weren't given adequate discussion time about the data. And the crucial question about whether the drug should be approved based on lowering the amyloids alone was specifically excluded from the discussion. So this feels like a very well-architected decision that really allowed for the scientific committee to not weigh in in the way that they were most important. So for me, that says it all. There were also just public comments from a broad spectrum of scientists and physicians over the past few months that made it clear that the data needed to back up the approval simply weren't there. So I don't know what could have gone on other than the way that Dave framed this, honestly. No trials started in 2015. They stopped in March 2019 because effectively the drug didn't work, wasn't clinically effective. And that would have been all she wrote. But later that year, Biogen released some additional data that showed that one trial had actually seen you know, better, but sort of ultimately mixed results. And there's a lot of suspicion that when you exclude certain patients and you put other patients in, of course, that's going to show that some patients might have better results. But the Scientific Advisory Committee looked at this and said that of the two big trials, the drug produced conflicting results on whether it could slow cognitive decline. And the advisory panel voted almost unanimously, so zero in favor, 10 no's, and one uncertain vote that the single trial wasn't enough to conclude that the drug actually works. And they also raised concerns about side effects like brain swelling in patients who were given high doses. So there were all sorts of scientific concerns here, and this approval. I mean, literally effectively shocked the drug development experts. So to me, it's pretty stunning overall. I'd say that I agree with Dave. This is about lobbying. This is about politics over science. And, you know, I think we're going to see an enormous backlash on the FDA. One thing I think that is also important to note that you actually don't read a lot about in the headlines of all this. And I think it's because most people in America probably don't understand this level the FDA said that this drug must show additional results in phase four trial or it will risk being pulled from the shelves. And Dave, I don't know what you've read about this, but my understanding is that that phase four is nine years of real world use to prove whether or not it works. So Biogen has nine years to make money on this drug before it gets pulled. I mean, what's the risk, right? So there's a real-world evidence piece of this that is interesting, sets up a lot of pros and cons for the industry going forward. But at the end of the day, it's you know, a huge moneymaker for Biogen. Yeah, sounds like the deck was stacked. Dave, anything to add to Julie's comments? I would add just a couple of points. Julie, your last observation on Biogen conducting a trial after the drug's already approved and they have almost 10 years to do it is, is spot on. First of all, who in the world is going to sign up for a trial when you got a 50% chance of getting a placebo and you can go to your doctor and get the real thing for sure? So my guess is that that trial never really happens. And I guess the, the other point I'd make is the extent to which Biogen bet the farm on this drug, you know, their stock price was up almost 40% on the day of the announcement, is only going to encourage other big pharma companies to follow the Biogen playbook and take their most speculative drugs, amp up the patient advocacy groups, put maximum pressure on the FDA to, to approve drugs that shouldn't be approved, and then force American society to, to pay for it. I mean, we're clearly plundering the present to benefit the 
healthcare industrial complex, the pharmaceutical industrial complex, without regard for the damage that will do to future generations. I mean, it's just awful. Thanks, Dave. Now, I'm almost afraid to ask this next question after all that. Let's talk about some possible solutions to all the issues you guys have raised about access, cost, and quality. Julie, what can we do from a clinical standpoint to monitor the drug's performance in the real world? And what advice would you have for clinicians prescribing the drug? Well, I'm going to have to put on my Pollyanna hat here, so I hope you can handle it. (laughs) (laughs) Take as long as you need to. <laughs> so let's start with the physicians. You know, since this drug is covered by Part B, doctors are going to be financially incented to prescribe it since that program pays physicians the average price plus 6%. So doctors are going to win here if they prescribe it. And the FDA gave virtually no guidance to determine which patients would really be best for the drug. There will be plenty of diagnostics needed, notably PET scans, which are typically not covered by health plans because they're so expensive, to diagnose kind of and monitor this drug situation. And certainly practices can charge Medicare for that. And you know, it's an infusion drug. And in infusion centers and providers who provide infusion services will win. I mean, that's not a, a cheap way to, to take a drug. So my Pollyanna part of this is if we want to take the high road to really understand if this drug works, if we're really caring about Alzheimer's and where it's headed and doing the best by patients, there's some self-selection here to really look at where you think a patient can most benefit from this, from what science has been done on this drug. I'm not so sure I believe that's going to happen. You know, when it comes to this phase four trial piece, this means a lot of monitoring, means longitudinal tracking of patients. The real-world evidence opportunities here to not only deeply understand the drug's impact, but other data about patients that may be impacting its effectiveness, may be impacting Alzheimer's, you know, it's significant. And Biogen needs to understand these nuances to have any hope of keeping this drug on the market for longer than the nine-plus-year trial they have. So the opportunity for real-world evidence data collection is significant and we're really learning a lot here. There's also opportunity to figure out how to manage specialty drugs like this better. So you can imagine that benefits managers are going to have a field day with this one. And you know there are things that are being announced like Cigna and Biogen streamlining the process to get patients access to the drug while monitoring the effectiveness and looking at that across several patient outcomes metrics. There, Biogen has set this up in a way that it's showing that it's trying to do this, but there's a lot more to be done. So I, I think there, there are technology and benefits management opportunities here, and certainly kind of the social determinants, real-world evidence could be at play here, but that's thinking really positively. Got it. Thanks, Julie. Dave, from a market perspective, what can we do to facilitate access to the drug by patients without breaking the bank? What can we do from a value-based care model or value-based reimbursement model perspective? Anything? (laughs) It's really hard to talk about solutions when you don't think a drug should be approved in the first place. But this challenge of paying for these high-cost drugs has been around for a while with the number of orphan diseases There has been some discussion of tying payment to outcome. So we've heard that Biogen is in discussions with Cigna on some performance-based payment model. The way that works is Biogen wouldn't get a payment unless the drug worked, and they'd have some metric for determining that. 
part of the problem there is Biogen has put such a high price tag on it, you know, $56,000. ICER, the Institute for Clinical Effectiveness, came up with a price range between $2,500 and $11,000. So part of what happens in this outcome-based scheme is if it only works 20% of the time, you increase the price by 500%, you know, so from 10,000 to 50,000 or 11,000 to 56,000, and you still get paid the same amount of money. So this really speaks to fundamental market failure approach. And what other countries have done is created a Federal Reserve-like agency to conduct these type of cost-benefit analysis uh, analyses. Right now, the FDA only determines whether a drug is safe and, as we've seen here, somewhat effective. Cost doesn't come into the equation at all. So in Great Britain, in Australia and some other places, they have organizations that make these cost-benefit decisions. Maybe this is going to be enough of a challenge, just given the monumental cost to Medicare funding this, that we could push in that direction. But whatever goodwill the drug industry has gained because of its remarkable performance on the COVID vaccines, it's losing almost immediately in this naked grab for wealth at the expense of broader American society and maybe global society. So it's not a pretty picture, Dave. I wish I had better options for you. No, no. Appreciate the the clarity there. Thank you. Julie, anything to add to Dave's comments? I would just double down on what Dave talked about with Medicare's inability to uh, determine the price it pays for drugs like this. And it is a uniquely American problem. And it seems to me it is a massive opportunity for private markets to take advantage of the situation. So Medicare can't afford to continue to run like this, especially with what we're seeing come down the pike with orphan drug development. So the scientific efficacy and pricing need to be taken into consideration together. It'll be fascinating to see how the drug rolls out over the next year or nine. I'm sure we'll be revisiting this topic in the future. Thank you. Now, as always on the Roundup, let's talk about next week. Julie, any other big stories that we'll be talking about? Well, the one that just happened was yesterday, I believe, was Nevada becoming the second state in the union to pass a public health insurance option. I think they're second to Washington, and they're going to bid out business to private insurance carriers, rely heavily on their Medicaid managed care organizations who are actually required to submit a bid. And their goal is to drive premiums down 15% over a four-year period. So yay, Nevada. Good job. Uh, Dave, what's on the lips of healthcare subject matter experts next week? I mentioned at the very top of the show that One Medical is uh, announced it's acquiring Iora. And these are two companies that I think both Julie and I like a lot. We're both One Medical members and both Iora and One Medical have been around about 10 years. They have salaried physicians. They have very customer-friendly platforms. They have something like five times the number of virtual touch points to every in-person touch points. I mean, these are just value-based companies. And by putting them together, uh, you'll basically be able to cover the entire age spectrum. So One Medical, which has up to this point focused on a commercial population, so families up to retirement age, and then Iora, which has been more focused on Medicare Advantage populations. So after age 65, that they'll cover the whole spectrum. And with all the bad FDA news, it was really good to see 
this announcement on the services side, which offers real promise for the future of, you know, better care, right care, right time, right place, right price, better outcomes, better customer service. That's what American healthcare should be. Yeah, thanks, Dave. And thank you, Julie. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. You also can find a recording of this podcast and all our podcasts on the Healthcare Now Radio Network, iTunes, Spotify, and other streaming services. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.